you go down to the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down to the woods today, you'd better go in disguise. For every elf that ever there was, will gather there for certain because today's the day the wood elves participate in a Bretonian tournament and sneakily steal the prizes. Always getting back on that horse, this is the Wargames Orchard. Welcome to the show, my name is GJ and I'll be your host for today. Today we're going to look at the 5th edition campaign set Perilous Quest. As always for these episodes we will not discuss any news or hobby as I record these hopefully well in advance to fill up some holes in our podcasting schedule. I am very grateful for all the positive feedback that I've gotten on these campaign episodes uh, so thank you so much for that and I hope that you will also enjoy this one. Before we start I will read to you this brief intro to the campaign setting. Perilous Quest is based upon the famous Bretonian troubadour ballad La Chanson de Charlotte, adapted by the minstrel Blondel from the earlier Bretonian chanson La Demoiselle de Charlotte. It appears that the events in this campaign happened a very long time ago because they are pieced together from the chanson. I have found almost no clues in the booklet as to when these events were supposed to take place. The only thing that is mentioned is that there might have been a period of about 1000 years between the events from the first chanson, the chanson La Demoiselle de Charlotte, and the events of the second chanson, which are the events of the Perilous Quest campaign. Now this period of 1000 years might also have been exaggerated or, or, or being used in a figurative sense. So we don't know for sure when this takes place. I have found no clues and there are no, no historical names here, no familiar historical names that I can piece together from when this was supposed to have taken place. So if anybody knows, then please let me know. I would love to know some more about this. If you maybe have found something that I couldn't. The tale begins with a mention of this first chanson, the chanson La Demoiselle de Charlotte, which is being performed by a minstrel at uh, the court of Beaumarchais. And I do hope that I am pronouncing these uh, Bretonian names, which are obviously based off French. Uh, I do hope I pronounce them sort of true to their form. Uh, if not, please excuse my butchering of the French. French has never been my favorite subject in high school and I dropped it as soon as it was possible. So the story begins in Beaumarchais, which is a city due north of Quenel in the southeastern corner of Bretonia near the forest of Athel Loren where the wood elves live. The Baron has gone to war and he did not return from the battle. He had two children, Agravain and Isabel. Agravain would be the next baron, but Isabel also has another contestant to throw in, which is Jacques, uh, Isabel's paramour. Jacques, spurred on by Isabel, also wanted to attempt to gain the domain of Beaumarchais. Isabel, as the lady of the, of the dukedom of the barony, she is allowed to give those knights an errand and those knights they become knights errand and they uh, have to do what 
Isabel wants them to do. And the one who manages to complete the errand will be the next Baron. The errand that Isabel sets out is to go on a quest to slay a nearby dragon, Drogo Lamal. In true Bretonian fashion, Jacques and Agravaine kept bickering about who would have the honor of the first strike. They are both trying to outdo the other in chivalry, and this is what they will keep doing during this brief introduction episode. In the end, they both struck, uh, struck the dragon together, Agravaine piercing its open maw and Jacques piercing its heart. They both wanted the other to claim the kill, but neither would and they decided that they'd battle each other to the death upon their return to decide who becomes the next Baron. Isabel, however, forbade that and she chose to marry Jacques, which automatically made him the new Baron. The Bretonian Code of Chivalry had bound both knights to accepting the errand uh, and to accepting whatever decision Isabel would, uh, would come to. Upon this announcement of marriage, Agravaine swore fealty to Jacques and Jacques immediately then released him from his oaths which, saying that Agravaine should ride to Coron to serve the king, who would certainly reward such a valiant knight with lands of his own. Agravaine then immediately pledges himself to the Grail quest. They are still both trying to out-knight the other. Agravaine then uh, goes to sleep in the Grail chapel, as is usual for questing knights upon the eve of their quest. And he receives a vision of a golden cup that has been thrown into a river by a beautiful lady. This leads him to determine that this must mean that he is to go to the tournament at Quenel, where the prize is the Chalice of Chanterelle, which is a goblet that at one point belonged to the fabled Lady of Charlotte. And Charlotte, uh, we later find out in this campaign booklet, used to be a Bretonian village in what is now within the borders of Athel Loren. It has been overgrown. Agravaine rides to Quenel and he arrives there on the eve of the tourney. What happens there is that a bunch of wood elves of the Kindred of the Willows also show up. They claimed that the chalice was rightfully theirs since it had been found within the borders of Athel Loren. It's then decided that two teams would joust, the Bretonians versus the Wood Elf Princess. The Elves declared that they would fight to the death, and of course the Bretonians could not refuse a challenge like that. The daughter of the Duke of Cunel, La Belle Melisande, gives each knight a token, and Agravaine is uh, the last knight. The tokens that she gives, um, yes, sort of slowly leave her in less and less clothes and eventually she is standing there in her underwear. Agravaine approaches and uh, he declines a favor, he does not want to embarrass the lady any further in front of all the, the peasants who are enjoying the show. So he declines her favor and uh, the lady then cuts off a tress of her hair which she gives him as a token. And this brings us to the first battle, the tournament in Quenel. Before we go over this battle, we have to take a look at the appendix. Contrary to the other campaign booklets, Perilous Quest does not have rules for alternative armies. 
Instead, it gives you the rules for fighting a Bretonian jousting tourney. And those same rules you can also find in UK White Dwarf 215. It's called, um, what was it called again? Full Tilt, a minigame. If you're lucky enough to get your hands on that edition and it is complete, then it contains some cardboard scenery. That is a great addition to the cardboard terrain pieces that you get in this box set. It's all in the same style. You get some tents that are exactly the same. You get a, a long piece of hoarding. And you get a very nice um, set of stands for your characters to stand in and to enjoy the joust. Now for a normal jousting tournament as set out in the appendix, you have three stages or three days. The first day is a pageant of honor where the knights present themselves and they ask for ladies' favors. And these ladies' favors, you, you roll for them. And if you are lucky, then this will mean that you get a, a favor that will allow you a number of re-rolls during the joust. The second day is the joust itself where two teams will take turns trying to unhorse each other. And the last day is called the Tableau de Bataille, which is where knights try to defeat the Black Knight, which is the personal champion of the tournament's host. Now the tournament at Quenelles, it is decided only by the Joust, so there's no Tableau de Bataille. In a regular tournament, you have two knights and they each make, uh, well, each day they go at the same time, so they make three passes at each other and they try to score points. But this is a special version of the tournament and the Widows and Bretonians, they fight to the death. So they only fight until either of them, uh, either opponent is unhorsed. There is no battlefield for this. You have no terrain to uh, set up. Um, but if you want to, you can put down some scenery, put down some hoardings and, and put down a couple of knights, uh, Bretonian knights and wood elf heroes although technically you would not need any models for this as the game is only decided by playing cards and rolling dice now the participants of the tournament are six wood elves versus six bretonians the wood elf roster consists of Athelwyn, which is your named hero and the main antagonist of this story and a further five wood elf heroes that are yet unnamed these wood elf heroes, you have to name them yourselves. They are all regular wood elf heroes with a movement of 5, weapon skill 6, ballistic skill 6, strength and toughness of 4, 2 wounds, initiative 8, 3 attacks and a leadership of 9. Your wood elves can choose a magic item. Each wood elf can have a single magic item and those magic items are included in the cost or at least you don't have to pay extra points for them. Bretonians are above using magic items, so just the wood elves do that, but the Bretonians, as we will see in a moment, they have their knightly virtues. For Aethelwyn, you have to select the Starlands, which gives you a plus 3 bonus when he charges and allows no armor saves. Now, other items you can choose, as quite a list, I'm not going to name them all, are for example the Blade of Leaping Bronze, which is a magic weapon. That will give you, uh, let me see, I had it right here. Uh, it gives you plus two attacks. It costs 50 points normally. Uh, the Dragon Blade is in there, which is an item that doubles the number of hits you cause. Each hit is two hits and you have to roll for wound. 
Uh, there's also, for example, the Armor of Fortune, which gives you a 5 plus armor save and a 5 of ward save. There is the Potion of Strength, which increases your strength. Uh, the Charm Shield, Jade Amulet. Some of the wards are in there. And you can select, well, it says here a single weapon, but I assume that means a single item for each of those. Now, even though you don't have to pay points for characters, you still get the full stats and rules and the points for Aetherwind and also for Aggravain because these heroes, they can be used later on in the battle as well. In the fourth battle, we will see them return. Aetherwind is a Wood Elf General. Even though he has the stats of a hero, he sets you back 174 points. He comes mounted on an Elven Steed. He carries a sword, light armor, a shield and the Starlands that I mentioned before. Uh, the Elven Steed has Barding, so he has a 3 plus save, but in the Joust, this is reduced to a 5 plus. And the reason for that is that in the Joust, you do not count the saves that a Mount or a Barding gives you. So all the Bretonians only have Heavy Armor and Shield that counts, and all the Wood Elves only have Light Armor and Shield that counts. The Starlands, as mentioned, gives you a plus 3 bonus when charging with no armor saves allowed. And Aetherwind has a special rule, Fate. He is fated to fight at the Tree of Shields, which is the final battle. This means that he cannot be slain until the final battle. So even if he is unhorsed during the tourney, he will be taken to a hidden glade deep within the forest of Lauren, where Wood Elf Maidens will treat him with magic potions. Here he will make a miraculous recovery, and he will be able to take part in the final battle. Because, of course, you need the story to proceed and that goes above whatever might happen on the battlefield. Well, the same is true for the Bretonians. And your Bretonian heroes, they all follow the stat line for a regular Bretonian hero. They have a movement of 4, but that's increased to 8 because they are all mounted on war horses. Uh, Web skill 5, ballistic skill 5, a strength and toughness of 4, 2 wounds, initiative 5, 3 attacks and a leadership of 8. As mentioned, the save is usually 2+, but for the tournament it has been reduced to 4+. And just as with Wood Elves, you get Agravain, which is a named character. He has a favor and um, he has also two virtues, but the virtues, they matter not for this tournament. The virtues will only matter for the final battle, but he already has them here. Now the other knightly heroes you can name yourself. You can select which favor to give them which part of the ladies clothing they get and uh, you can also select a, a virtue and the knightly virtues that you can select from are the virtue of discipline which means that he does not have to roll to see if he is unhorsed when he loses a wound which this is how it is works in this tournament if you uh, cause a wound then the other one has to make a roll to see if he falls off his horse you get the virtue of the impetuous knight, which means that he automatically strikes first. The virtue of knightly ardor. In the first pass of the joint of the joust, the knight may add plus one to his strength. The virtue of noble disdain. The knight disregards the first wound he suffers. The virtue of purity, which means that he cannot use the swipe or dodge ploy, and I will mention those ploys uh, in a little while. But he can reroll failed armor saves and the jousting virtue, which means that he automatically hits during the joust. Very nice, very handy. Apart from these virtues, you can also give the knights the favors of uh, the Lady Melisande, 
You can give the Veil, which allows the knight to re-roll any dice in the joust just once. The Wimple, which means that the knight's opponent automatically misses his first strike in the joust. The Tabard, which means that he may re-roll to hit once in the joust. The Kirtle, um, I have no idea what that is. My, my grasp of the English language is apparently not good enough to know that a Kirtle is apparently a medieval type of clothing. Anyway, the Kirtle will automatically allow you to hit in the first turn. The Girdle will allow you to strike before your opponent, regardless of any initiative, magic items, or a deploy that you use in the tournament. You can have the Garter of Melisande, which allow you to re-roll your save, your armor save, just once. And the Tress of Melisande, which is given to Agravane and no one else. And the first wound inflicted on Agravane is disregarded. Now Agravane is the General of the Knights. He costs 138 points. Uh, he has the stats I mentioned before. He, has, uh, he rides a Bretonian boar horse. He has heavy armor, a lance, sword, and a shield. And uh, his save is there's 2+, plus, except that it is 4+, plus during the tournament, because his bodied warhorse does not count. The knightly virtues that he has are the questing virtue and the virtue of devotion. As mentioned, these have no effect during the joust, but they will be useful in the final battle. To know what they do, uh, we have to go through the Bretonian book. The questing virtue says that the knight never needs to test for panic from any source whatsoever. And the virtue of devotion, it um, says that the knight is completely immune to hostile magic spells. Spells simply do not affect him. So the spell is not dispelled, but uh, other troops can still be affected, except that the knight cannot be affected by magic spells. Apart from these virtues, uh, Agravain also has a special rule which is similar to the one of his wood elf counterpart. His special rule is protected by the Lady of the Lake, which means that he cannot be slain until the final battle. If he is unhorsed in the tournament, he will be taken to the Grail Chapel at Quenel, where he recovers in time to take part in the final battle. Once again, how convenient. Now for this jousting tournament, you go about this in the following way. Both of your characters, uh, you, you first put all the names of the characters in a random, uh, you randomize them, you, you put the names in a hat, and you draw a name from each team at random, and you pit those two against each other. They both count as charging, so they both get the bonuses for charging. Each knight attacks only once, and uh, the the goal of this is to cause a wound on the opponent. Actually, to cause two wounds, because all the knights have two wounds. So if you cause two wounds, the other one uh, dies. He is then automatically unhorsed if he dies. And if you cause a single wound, there is a 50-50 chance of the knight falling off of his horse. And if he falls off his horse, he sustains a second wound and is then also out of the tournament. Now... For this joust, uh, you don't decide who strikes first based in, on initiative order, but instead you have jousting ploys. You select a jousting ploy upon the charge and uh, you do it in secret and then both you and your opponent reveal which jousting ploy you have chosen and then you go about them in order of 
the number that's on them. And if the number is the same, then you will strike an initiative order. And this is, uh, of course, if no other things like magic items or so uh, mess with that order. The first jousting ploy, number one, is aim for shield. You automatically strike before your opponent using any other ploy, so you just get to roll first. Number two is aim for your opponent's helm. It's hard to hit, but even a glancing blow can wound or unhorse him, so you get plus one to your strength. This third one is aim for crest, and this one is the most useless in this particular version of the tournament. Because usually when you aim for the knight's crest, you aim for this little uh, thing that's on top of his helmet. And if you knock that off, it's very difficult to hit. Uh, it's unlikely to unhorse him. But if you break it, you will bring great dishonor. And that counts as two lance breaks. Normally you count the number of lances you break. And the more lances you break, the higher you score. And in a normal joust, you just count until uh, three passes have been made and then you tally up how many points you have scored. So this is, um, well, you, you might still use it because it still goes before the, the last two, but you will get minus one um, to your hit. So that's, that's a gamble that you might take. It does not give many bonuses. Number four is swipe. Um, the ploy is acceptable, but not considered to be very honorable. So Bretonian players, beware. You swipe with the lance across your opponent's front to knock him from his saddle. It's not difficult to hit him with this ploy, but it is rather slow and not very skillful. So you strike after the opponent aiming for shield, helm or crest, number one, two and three, but you do get plus one to hit. And the final one, five, is dodge, which is a defensive ploy, greatly lacking in honor. You give up your own chance to strike in order to dodge your opponent's lands. This means you do not strike at all, but your opponent suffers minus two to hit. Even if he is, enti uh, if he is entitled to an automatic hit, this is modified to a three plus. And if both knights attempt to dodge, then nothing happens and they will just make a pass and... Well, the crowd will uh, probably jeer and, and boo and go and be very disappointed. So this is how this Bretonian tournament goes. And normally you would just take three passes each, but this side, uh, this time you uh, keep going at each other until one of the two is unhorsed. You will do this until all the knights have had a chance to fight each other. Um, or at least to, to all the knights have, have gone a single round. And then you count how many knights have survived from each side. And the one with the most remaining heroes wins. If this is drawn, then you fight another set. However, when this was uh, played in the historical event, it does give you in the back of the book, in one of the appendices, the the exact armies that were used in the historical battle that have been pieced together from uh, by historians from verses of the chansons and when this was done they both sides had three heroes remaining and then they were um distracted because the second battle happened now the victory gains for this battle are that you can only use the heroes that have survived this battle in your final battle 
of course, as usual, you can also take some of the heroes that you will meet in the next few scenarios. But uh, this will restrict you, this will limit you in such a way that you decide in this first battle how many heroes you have access to in your final battle. Now, as for miniatures, um, I have not really found any miniatures that were specially designed or renamed for this campaign. There are a couple of miniatures on the back of the book that are uh, that may be used for these Bretonian knights, for these Bretonian heroes. But these are just your regular uh, grill knight hero, uh, questing knight hero, and the knights of the realm hero. Uh, the questing knight hero is used for Agravain, our main character. And the knights of the realm hero is for the knight from the second scenario, and the real knight hero for the knight of the third scenario. There are no special wood elf characters mentioned here nor shown here, and I am not aware that the any have been uh, released or named according to the, the names in this booklet, as have been for some of the other scenario packs. The second battle uh, takes place between the tents, and this happens during the tournament that's being fought. It's called the Battle of the Tents. And what happens here is that the elves, uh, they know they won't necessarily win the tournament. And the ones, uh, it has been decided, I forgot to mention this, but the side that wins uh, gets the cup. That's, that's what this is all about. They, um, the elves want to have that chalice. The Bretonians want to have that chalice. They both lay claim to it. And then it's decided that the team that wins the joust gets to go home with chalice but the wood elves are tricky they are treacherous they know they won't necessarily win and they just decide to steal the tournament prizes and to do so Aethelwyn creates a diversion and he said uh, he well he of course he doesn't do it himself because he is participating in the joust but he signals to uh, one of his retainers they set a wild cat loose amongst the Bretonian tents. And then the wood elves enter the pavilion where the prizes are kept and they steal the chalice. However, the castellan of Quenelles, he sees this and he gathers whomever he can find to restore order. But he has to be quick because warhawks are coming in. They are approaching to uh, steal away the chalice. It is in this battle that you will need most of the terrain that comes with the Perilous Quest campaign pack. You've got a large pavilion which is set up at the exact center of the battlefield. Around that are placed five smaller tents and some hoardings and some hedges, a couple of trees. Your wood elf deployment zone is 18 inches from each side of the battlefield and it continues all the way up to the central line. So half of the pavilion falls inside the Wood Elf Deployment Zone. The Bretonian Deployment Zone, it stretches the full length of the battlefield, but it is only 12 inches deep. So you have to cross a little bit of space with your Bretonians before you can get to the Wood Elves. And the Bretonians, uh, they set up just outside this um, bordered off area with the, the hoardings and the tents and the hedges. Your Wood Elves deploy first, then the Bretonians. Waywatchers will automatically set their traps 
and Weight Watchers could set traps in 4th and 5th edition, which is very nice. They will set their traps between the tents, they, they will uh, do some shenanigans with the tent lines, and um, that means that you can use the wood elf traps that are usually reserved to for the Weight Watchers when they are in the woods. The Bretonians get to go first, the game lasts for 4 turns, and the victory conditions are as follows. The Wood Elves, they gain more loot the longer they can hold of the Bretonians. There are 4 items that Wood Elves can get. At the end of each turn, in which at least one unit of Wood Elf troops, so not characters, just your regular troops, is within 6 inches of the pavilion where the prizes are, they gain one of the prizes. And if the Brats slay the Wood Elf General, then it is a sudden death victory condition. Now the prizes are as follows. There are four prizes and the Wood Elves can steal one of them in each turn. The first prize is of course the Chalice and they are stolen in this order. The Chalice is the most important one, the Chalice of Chanterelle. This is the only artifact that is really Bretonian, although the Wood Elves do not know this. It gleams and appears to be very precious and magical, which it is, and so it's the first thing the thieves will grab in their haste. If it, it is of no use to them, but it has a part to play in the final battle. The second prize is the Silver Arrow. A silver arrow inscribed with Wood Elf spirals and a tiny inscription that reads, I will fell any foe, no armor can protect against me. How handy, an arrow with an instruction label. If an enemy model is wounded by this arrow, he will suffer d6 wounds with no armor saves possible, one use only. Third prize is the Casket of Acorns. It is a golden casket containing a few wizened acorns. A wood elf mage will recognize these as magic acorns that will immediately sprout into d6 dryads if scattered on the ground in the magic phase of any wood elf turn. These are also one use only. And the fourth prize is the Old Stick. This is a finely carved wooden staff decorated with a fairy face, intertwined spirals and green gems. Cunningly hidden within the spirals there is an incantation written in runes that only a wood elf mage can understand. When translated it reads, This is all that remains of Gwath the Old. Plant me when you are in need of help. When the stick is planted into the ground in the magic phase of any wood elf turn, it will immediately sprout into a tree man who will rush to the aid of his fellow woodsman at no extra point cost, one use only. I know of some wood elf players that will probably want to use these items every game, especially these last two. So you steal these prizes, uh, one per turn, and you steal them in this order. So the, the tree man one is the last one. and any prizes that you steal, any items that you steal, you can use them in the final battle. Except of course for the cup, which is a Bretonian item and the Wood Elves can't use that. There are some uh, special rules with this scenario. And the special rule is that if the Wood Elves use Warhawk Riders, these are um, not deployed at the start of the battle, but they arrive during the second turn and they arrive flying high. Now, flying high is a special rule that was uh, a thing in 4th and 5th edition, meaning that your flyers could basically land anywhere on the battlefield and they could even make an attack while doing so. And they can fly in and attack in the second turn. For your roster, for your wood elf roster, 
you can have uh, a character which is Elthrin. Elthrin is the wood elf general, the, the, the thief general. He is a wood elf hero with the regular stats of a wood elf hero, the same as the mounted elves from the first scenario. He wears light armor and is armed with a hand weapon and a longbow. Now it says here on the battle scroll that he has a save of 4+, plus, but I guess that is only if he is mounted and he does not come with a mount. So his save should probably be just 6+, plus for light armor. And he has a magic weapon which is the Hail of Doom arrow, very famous magic item. And the Hail of Doom arrow is an arrow that you fire, it's a one use only arrow. And this arrow splits then into uh, 3d6 arrows. So you fire one shot, but it falls apart into 3d6 arrows. They are magical and they hit at strength 4 using the regular ballistic skill of the wood elf hero, which is 6. Apart from your wood elf hero, you can have champions and your champion can have a magic item worth up to 20 points. Now I don't know if this is a typo, but up until now we've seen that all champions in every scenario and every campaign can have magic items worth up to 25 points. You can have a 0 to 1 mage, wood elf mage, he is either on foot or mounted on a warhawk, and he may have a single magic item worth up to 25 points. And you may only put him on a Warhawk if you also include Warhawk Riders. For your regiments, you can have 0 to 1 units of War Dancers, you can have 0 to 1 units of Way Watchers, 0 to 1 units of Scout, 0 to 1 units of Warhawk Riders, and any number of units of Archers and Glade Guards. And both your Archers and your Glade Guards, uh, one unit of each, may have a magic standard with a value up to 25 points. Your Bretonians are led by the Castellan of Quenel. This is the army general and he has the stats of a regular wood elf hero. He costs 107 points. He is mounted on a Bretonian warhorse. He has heavy armor, a shield and his warhorse has barding, giving him a 2 plus save. He is armed with a morning star. He has the knight's virtue and the virtue of knightly temper. The knight's virtue simply says that a knight with this virtue ignores panic caused by commoners, uh, caused by friends when they break in combat except when they, those friends are other knights. And the virtue of knightly temper means that he gets an additional attack for each of his original attacks that scores a hit. You roll to hit as normal, then roll one more attack for each hit already scored. And then uh, that's it. You don't get any more hits. Um, and if your attacks hit automatically, or if he has a magic weapon which automatically hits, for example, then he must still roll to hit to see, uh, to see um, with his additional attacks from the Virtue of Knightly Temper. So you don't receive more automatic hits, just a, a Virtue that gives you a little bit of an extra punch. The item he has is the Morning Star. Uh, this is a weapon with three heavy spiked iron balls hanging from short chains attached to its staff, uh, to its shaft. The Castellan uses this to better his opponents in hand-to-hand -hand combat. The Morning Star easily smashes through armor, so opponents suffer an additional minus one modifier to their armor save. Very nice. Um, the, there's a reason why he has a Morning Star because the Castellan of Cornells is the 
guy that is represented by this Knight of the Realm hero, and the Knight of the Realm hero has this Morningstar I just described. Apart from the Castellan, you can have Commoner Champions, a champion for each unit of Commoners, and they cannot have any magic items. Your regiments consist of 0 to 1 units of mounted squires, 0 to 1 units of regular squires, any number of units of men at arms, and anyone, any number of units of bowmen. In total, you have to get to a thousand points for both the Bretonians and for the wood elves, which I forgot to mention uh, just now. Now, the historical result, the historical outcome of this battle was that the Wood Elves steal all the prizes, they just use their Warhawks and they managed to make away with all of the magic items that were held in the pavilion. What happens next is that uh, the Bretonians are of course outraged at the dishonor that the Wood Elves showed during this tournament. The tournament ends, the elf princes take their wounded and leave, and then it is discovered by those watching the tournament that the elves stole the treasures. The Bretonians are outraged at this contempt for the rules of chivalry, and Arnaud de Boron, uh, which is a, a, a knight that is introduced here, he wants to lead a faction of knights in pursuit of the chalice. The Duke of Cornells also wants to... Um, wants amends for the way that the elves have dishonored the tournament and he asks for suggestions. The grail damsel, Eleanor de Quenel, suggests that the elves give up the ruined and abandoned chapel of Charlotte. You remember Charlotte was the Bretonian village that is now abandoned and lies within the borders of Athel Loren. It is uh, inside the forest but not that far in the forest. However, the elves always scare away pilgrims that want to go there. Eleanor suggests that the elves place the chalice in the chapel and they allow pilgrims to go there. Now, our main character, Agravain, he spends the night in the grill chapel and he uh, is asking to seek guidance for his quest. However, he does not get any dreams during the night. But the next morning when he goes to the river, he sees a vision of a beautiful lady in a boat Mounting the words, rescue me. Afterwards, Lady Eleanor asks Agravain to join their pilgrimage, but Agravain doesn't want to do that because he does not want to be distracted from his own personal quest. He seeks out his retainers, which are Jasper the Fool, his, his father's fool, and Blondel the Minstrel. And Blondel is the one that uh, is the... Uh, the, the minstrel who composed the chanson that this whole perilous quest campaign is based on. Now I want to read you a little piece from the book here. Agravain, uh, he scours the streets and eventually plucked Blondel out of the gutter and dragged him by the scruff of the neck back, onto his, back to his tent, where Jasper was preparing a midday meal. Blondel, I want you to sing that chanson which you sang in my father's castle again. I want you to sing La Demoiselle de Charlotte. Blondel began to sing. It was a long ballad. He sang of how, a long time ago, a fair Bretonian lady had set out on a journey by boat on the river Brienne from the legendary grilled chapel of Charlotte to the, to the tourney in Quenelles. He sang of how her retinue was ambushed by cunning foes shooting a hail of arrows from the banks of the river. 
all the retinue accompanying the lady in her boat was slain, and the boat itself somehow slipped free from the other boat in the retinue. Alas, the boat drifted away with the current and the lady was never seen or heard of again. Only her minstrel reached Cornell's alive and composed the ballad before throwing himself off the top of the tallest tower in Cornell in sorrow for his beloved lady. What a sad story that is. Agravin suddenly realized that his own quest was bound up with the pilgrimage to the Lost Grill Chapel of Charlotte. He says, This morning I saw the Demoiselle de Charlotte in a vision. The Lady of the Lake has called upon me to seek and rescue this fair damsel. Are you mad? cried Blondel. She vanished hundreds of years ago. It's a foolish task. You must be wrong. Agravain, however, was now totally in the grip of religious fervor and would not listen to any reasoning or common sense. The ways of the Lady of the Lake are mysterious to us all, my friend. As quickly as they could, Agravain's companions packed up the camp and girded their master with his armor. But by the time they arrived at the grill chapel in Quenel, the pilgrimage had already gone on its way. This leads us to the third battle. The pilgrims, they enter Athel Loren, and the wood elf mage Yolath, uh, he encounters them there, he questions the Bretonians, and he notices that there are armed people amongst the peaceful pilgrims. He urges them to turn back, but they don't. The elves try to refrain from attacking, but the forest itself comes alive to attack the pilgrims. This is what happens when you cross into the, bone, uh, the, the borders of Athel Loren. This battle it takes place in the forest, this uh, third battle called the Perilous Pilgrimage. The forest is set up as follows. You have a uh, your regular um, rectangular map. Over the long edge on one side, uh, plus the two short edges, is the wood elf deployment zone. And in between that, in between this U-shape, is the Bretonian deployment zone. Going from north to south, so across the short uh, distance of the map, is a road. It forks around the middle. There's some marshland just in the fork of the road. And there are a lot of forests there. The wood elves, they deploy 24 inches uh, wide, so that's, that's 12 inches from the center line to each side. And they have to stay 18 inches away from the wood, uh, wood elf um, board edge. And the wood elves have to remain 8 inches away from the Bretonian deployment zone. Your Bretonians deploy first and the wood elves deploy the, uh, next, but the wood elves gain the first turn. The game lasts for four turns, and in this game, the objective is to get the reliquary wagon off of the table. If you can do that, you uh, have the sudden death victory condition, the Bretonians win. Otherwise, you will count victory points, and in the case of a draw, the Bretonians win. If the Wood Elves win this battle, they will be able to use Tree Men and Riots in the final battle, but if the Bretonians win, they can use the Reliquary Wagon. The special rules for this scenario is that there are no special deployment rules for Scouts and Waywatchers, as everything can set up to uh, up to 8 inch away from the Bretonians. The Wood Elf Force uh, consists of 1250 points, 
and it is led by Quercus the Tree Man. He is your regular run of the mill tree man. He costs 280 points. He's got a movement of 6, weapon skill 8, ballistic skill 3, strength 6, toughness 7, 6 wounds, initiative 2, 4 attacks, and leadership 9. He's got an unmodified save of 5. Tree men cause fear. They can move through the woods without penalties. They have a woody skin, which is what gives them the 5 plus save. They are um, vulnerable to fire, so anything that hits them that's flaming will cause double wounds. If a tree man is slain, he may topple over, and then you have the fallen tree man template that came with the starter box. He can perform a 3 whack attack that can damage buildings and war machines. And uh, a tree man does not have to take a break test if beaten in hand-to-hand -hand combat, unless he suffers wounds. Normal tree men also have another rule, which is hate orcs and goblins, but since there are no orcs and goblins in the Bretonian army, that rule is not mentioned here. Apart from Gwerkers the tree men, you can have champions for your wood elves. They can have a magic item worth up to 20, 20 points, not 25. And you may include a single wood elf mage, uh, which is on food and can have a magic item worth up to 50 points. For your regiments, you can select 0 to 1 units of Way Watchers, 0 to 1 units of War Dancers. You have to take at least 1 unit of Dryads, and you can have any number of Scouts. The Bretonians, they only have 1000 points at their disposal. They are led by Aloise de Monjoy, which is the, the, the general for this pilgrimage. He is 117 points. He's a regular Bretonian hero on a war horse. He is armed with a double-handed broadsword, a heavy armor, and he rides a bartered war horse. He has the Grail Virtue and the Virtue of Knightly Temper. And the Grail Virtue says that he is just immune to psychology. Uh, Virtue of Knightly Temper is the same as the one that we read uh, earlier, which is that he can, for each hit he causes, he can make another attack. Uh, unless I'm now mixing up my virtues, uh, which is not a good thing to do. No, I'm not. Virtue of Knightly Temper is the one that we already mentioned. Also, in this, um, in this army is uh, Lady Eleanor. She is the Grail Damsel of Quenelle, and she is a Master Wizard, a level 3 wizard. Uh, Eleanor is uh, your regular level 3 wizard. She costs 202 points. She's got a movement of 4, weapon skill and ballistic skill of 3, strength and toughness of 4, 3 wounds, initiative 5, 2 attacks, and a leadership of 7. She's got a sword, and she rides a bartered Bretonian warhorse, and she has the Potion Sacre which is a magic potion, and the rules for that are uh, mentioned in the Warhammer Magic Items in the 5th the edition magic set. The Potion Sacre is it's a one-use-only potion for Bretonia only. The bearer may drink it before making a dice roll and then add one or deduce one from the score. So you can maybe use this to to uh, make sure your spell goes off or uh, well do something similar like that i think this is the most uh, important use for it uh, for a bretonian grill damsel maybe uh, also uh, to make sure your armor safe passes 
Apart from these two characters, you may have a battle standard bearer carrying the pilgrimage banner of the Grail Chapel, which is a magic banner worth up to 50 points. You can have any number of Bretonian knightly heroes who are armed as knights and they are all questing knights, so they all have the questing virtue. They may have one other knightly virtue and a magic item worth up to 25 points. And you may choose Bretonian knightly champions to accompany the units of knights or mounted squires. Knightly champions may have a magic item worth up to 10 points and you can have commoner champions for each unit of squires or men at arms and they cannot have any magic items. Your regiments consist of 0 to 1 units each of questing knights, mounted squires, squires and bowmen. You must take the reliquary wagon and you can have any number of men at arms. This reliquary wagon is, uh, is a cardboard wagon that's provided in the pack. It's got um, those plastic wheels that you had to glue on. And the reliquary wagon has the following rules. It's got a movement of 2d6 inches. It's got a weapon skill of 3, no ballistic skill, strength 3, toughness 7, 4 wounds, initiative 3, d6 attacks and a leadership of 7. The crew are armed with hand weapons. It has no save. The special rules for the wagon are religious fervor. The wagon and its crew of pilgrims are gripped by religious fervor, so they are immune to psychology. They will not flee and they cannot be broken in hand-to-hand -hand combat. They just die where they stand, making the sign of the grill. In combat, the d6 attacks represent the defense put up by the pilgrims. When the wagon takes its full quota of wounds, it has been overturned and all its crew become casualties in the battle. The movement is 2d6, it's random due to the buggy winding forest track. The wagon cannot charge or flee, nor can it pursue. And this wagon has a special rule, the reliquary of Quenel. This is a sacred gold casket containing ancient weapons, armor and fragments of bones of Bretonian heroes whose names and deeds have long been lost in the mists of time. It is steeped in Bretonian honor and enchantment, which creates an aura of sanctuary that can repel the enemies of Bretonia. Enemy units must pass a leadership test on 3d6 in order to charge the reliquary wagon or if it moves within 4 inches of them. If they fail the test, they are immediately moved 4 inches away from the reliquary wagon. This is very nice because you have to use this wagon, you have to um, win the battle by getting this wagon off of the board and you don't want to have it in combat. For your victory conditions, uh, if the wood elves, uh, sorry, if the Bretonians win, then those sacred bones, they disturb the magics binding the, the wood elf forest spirits to the trees and they, they dissipate, they become regular trees. That is why in the final battle, you cannot have any characters if the uh, Bretonians win. Uh, you, you cannot have any, any uh, dryads or treemen, I should say, if the Bretonians win. Unless, of course, you have those magic items that allow you to do so. The historical result was that the reliquary wagon manages to leave the battlefield and uh, you get a short description of how Quercus turns into a tree and then he is just indistinguishable from any other tree in the forest. The Bretonian pilgrims make their way to, through the wood elf ambush and they carry on to the final scenario, the Battle of the Tree of Shields. 
Now, Agravain, who has remained behind, he um, is not the only one. There are some more knights that have been left behind that uh, changed their minds maybe or arrived late and want to join the pilgrimage. They gather at the Grail Chapel and they then move into the forest. They come upon the remains of the pilgrim column who rally to them and that enrages the knights because the peaceful pilgrims have been treacherously attacked by these vicious elves. They organize themselves in a column of march, which is a considered an act of war by the wood elves. It's provocative to them. So the wood elves hold a war council. And this war council is, um, is, is also a nice section that I do wish to read out to you. As the Bretonians penetrated deeper into the forest, the kindred of the willows gathered for a council of war in the midst of their sacred glade. The debate continued long into the night. What have you done, Edelwyn? demanded Yolat the mage, pointing his finger at the proud elven prince. Why have you stirred up the Bretoni against us? All the elders of the kindred who were gathered in the council glade looked to Edelwyn to justify his actions. I sought only to bring back the heirlooms of our kindred, answered Aethelwyn. They are not meant for their foolish games. The mage looked the young prince in the eye. You took part in their foolish games and then made the mistake of breaking their rules. That is not the elven way, Aethelwyn. At this rebuke, Aethelwyn became sullen and downcast, but he did not betray the fact that some of the younger mages had been in sympathy with his cunning plan. Nevertheless, his pride was hurt. The other princes who had gone to Quenel with him were nobles from the neighboring kindreds. No doubt they would also meet with the wrath of the elders. The truth was that these young princes were rebellious against the authority of the elders. The age-old rituals were stifling to the younger elves and the temptations of the outside world gnawed at their keen, inquiring minds. I shall give back the chalice. It's too late for that. The chalice is not enough. Give it back by all means. Try and appease them, but you will see that they are now demanding something more. Something that is impossible for us to give. You have spoken to them. What is it they really seek? Asked the mage, Ethereth, who secretly supported Aethelwyn's action. They seek the destruction of our sacred grove, which is on our holy island, replied Yolath. The assembled elders were aghast. The grove had stood there for many generations. Why would the Bretoni ask such a terrible thing of them? Yolat knew why. He told the council how there had once long ago been a Bretonian shrine on the island, but it had been abandoned and over the years the forest had crept over the deserted ruins to reclaim it back as its own. When the kindred of the willows found a grove of mighty willow trees growing on the island, they had settled there. From that time to the present, the kindred had sunk to the trees and all the kindreds, as all the kindreds did, and the trees had grown dense and strong. Now the Bretoni wish to return, continued Yolat, and with them will come the plagues and wars and noise and axes and iron and fires and plowshares and hunting. At this the council became very angry. Aethelwyn was gripped by deep remorse. What can we do, Yolath? he asked, his voice softened by the weight of remorse. There are only two things we can do. The kindreds can abandon the sacred island and migrate deeper into the woods, or they stay and defend themselves. The matter was debated furiously by all the elders. No one was for migrating, as you might expect. In the meanwhile, while this war council goes on during the night, 
Agravane dreams again of the lady. Lady casting the chalice and other valuables she has in the river before drinking a vial of poison. And this is the same lady that was uh, in the boat that he saw earlier. Then he sees the wood elves taking up the body of the, of the lady and burying it at the Grail Chapel. Uh, this is the Chapel of Charlotte, which is before it was overgrown by the trees. The elves weave willow bark together to cover the chapel, and Agravain now knows the fate of the Lady of Charlotte, but he doesn't understand why the elves took such care to imprison her. Perhaps she was only sleeping for a period of a thousand years. The next day the Bretonians enter the glade where the village of Charlotte used to be. It's now an island in a marshland surrounded by ancient willow trees. The wood elves have gathered there and Agravain tries to parley with them, asking for permission to restore the chapel and allow pilgrims to travel there. Aethelwyn replies that the chapel is now gone and that the tree growing in its place is sacred to the elves. He throws the chalice towards the Bretonians and he tells them to leave. Then Agravain notices that a number of questing knight shields are hung from the tree. Knights which have been killed by the wood elves, probably also after seeing visions of the Lady of Charlotte, and the shields are being kept there as trophies. This angers Agravain, and he signals for the battle to start. And here's a tiny little tidbit that's right at the end of this section that I simply must mention. Included in this battle are a number of men-at-arms from the Fauberg de Mayon, and they advance singing their rousing battle song, the mayonnaise. So next time you select your condiments, think of a rousing battle song. The battlefield for this fourth battle, the Battle of the Tree of Shields, is set up as follows. The table is divided into two sections and the uh, half of it is the Wood Elf Deployment Zone. This Wood Elf Deployment Zone is in the middle of the Wood Elf Deployment Zone, near the edge of the battlefield, is a hill with some ruins and the tree of shields and there is a marsh that goes in a sort of vaguely semi-circular shape it goes from one corner of the battlefield almost to the center and then it bends back again to the other corner all staying within the wood elf deployment zone and there are of course some groves of willow trees the Bretonian deployment zone is along the other edge. It stays 12 inches away from either side of the board and 12 inches away from the Wood Elf deployment zone. The Wood Elves deploy first and then the Bretonians and then you roll off to see who gets the first turn. The game lasts for 6 turns and the victory conditions are that if Agravain is slain or flees off the table, the Wood Elves will win at the end of that turn. And the Bretonians will win at the end of any turn on which there are no non-fleeing wood elf units on the island. So if the wood elves abandon the island. And the island is the whole section within the marshland. Otherwise, if none of these victory conditions are met, the wood elves win if the victory points are a draw. And if the victory points are not a draw, then the one with the most victory points wins. The victory gains, of course this is the final scenario so there are no real victory gains, but the outcome of the battle is as follows. If the wood elves win, they will save their sacred tree from the Bretonian axis. And if they lose, they have to move deeper into the forest and have to give back these, these lands to Bretonia. If the Bretonians win, they restore the chapel and the questing knights will no longer write to their doom 
in search of this lady. Agravain will fulfill his own personal quest and he might even find the Lady of Shalott and even the Holy Grail. And if that would be the case, then I guess this would certainly mean that this is the shortest Grail quest in Bretonian history. Because usually from the Bretonian army book you gather that these Grail quests take multiple years and the Grail Knights ride all across, or the Questing Knights ride all across Bretonia in search of the Lady of the Lake. The scenario has some special rules, and the first one is the Mists of Shalot. The Wood Elves suffer a minus one to hit on all shots fired across the marsh. And if you enter the marsh as a wounded Bretonian character, you can regain all your lost wounds, and this only works one per game for each character. And now because of the Tree of Shields, each knightly character and each unit of knights at the start of the battle has to roll a d6 and on the roll of a 5 or 6, they hate the Wood Elves. The armies for this battle are selected also from Battle Scrolls. Both armies consist of 2000 points. The Kindred of the Willows consists of Aethelwyn, uh, the Elven Prince we saw in the first scenario, plus any elven princes that survived the first scenario, they may be included, and they are equipped exactly as they were for the tournament, retaining the same magic items they had in the first scenario. You may include Elthrin if he survived the Battle of the Tents. You may include Yolath, the Master Mage, and the rules for Yolath are given on this battle scroll. He is 242 points. A regular elf master mage level 3 wizard armed with a hand weapon a longbow and he rides a warhawk and he may be given any of the magic items stolen during the battle of the tents for no extra point cost. The items that were stolen were of course the chalice of chanterelle. It is a bretonian magic item that the wood elves cannot use but the other items they can use. The silver arrow uh, causing d6 wounds, no armor save, one use only. The casket of acorn summoning d6 dryads, one use only. And the old stick summoning a tree man, one use only. Apart from Yolath and the other named characters, you can have Quirkus the tree man if he survived the third battle. You may include the battle standard bearer with the banner of the kindred of the willows, a magic banner worth up to 50 points. You can have champions for each of your units and each champion may have a single magic item worth up to 10 points. So we are even go, uh, going even lower in points for the champions. Apart from Yolath, you can use two extra mages. Each mage may be equipped with any of the magic items stolen at the Battle of the Tent for no extra point cost. And they may either be on foot or ride elven steeds. You can have zero to one, uh, sorry, zero to two tree men in total, and but you may only include them if the wood elves won the third battle. And if you choose Quirkus, you may only have one other tree man in addition to him. If you lost the third battle, the old stick is the only way to get tree men in your army. For your regiments, you can have zero to one units of dryads per tree man, and this of course is. Uh, uh, not including the dryad summoned by the casket of acorns. You can have 0 to 1 units of glade riders, which may have a magic banner worth up to 50 points. 0 to 1 units of scouts. 
0 to 1 units of Way Watchers, 0 to 1 units of War Dancers, 0 to 1 Warhawk Riders, any number of Glade Guards and uh, Glade Guards. They, they got a new name later in 6th edition, but these are what uh, Eternal Guard would be in 6th edition. These are your Wood Elf Fighters. Uh, the Spearmen usually. Um, I don't know if there were many models where they could also have swords. I believe there were also some that could have swords. Um, anyway, your Glade Guards, they can have a magic banner worth up to 25 points, one unit of them. And you can also have any number of Archer units, one of which may have a magic banner worth up to 25 points. The Bretonian army consists of Agravain the Bow Quest. Agravain is the same hero you saw in the very first scenario. You can include Eloi the Monjoy if he survived the third battle. You may include Eleanor the Quinell if she survived the third battle. And you can have a battle standard bearer with the banner of the Duke of Quinells or the Pilgrimage Banner. Either way, uh, this is a magic banner worth up to 50 points. And these banners are named here, but there are no special magic items. They are just, uh, you can choose a banner, but it is uh, uh, called the Pilgrimage Banner. The army may include any of the knightly heroes who survived the tourney at Quinald. They may have a magic weapon worth up to 25 points, representing the various ancestral relics. And they must retain the same knightly virtues as they had in the same scenario. However, except for Agravains, the favors of the lady will no longer apply. You can have any of the surviving questing heroes who took part in Perilous Pilgrimage, the third scenario, and you may choose a Bretonian knightly champion to accompany each unit of knights or mounted squires that can have a magic item worth up to 10 points. You may choose a commoner champion for each unit commoners, and they cannot have any magic items. For your regiments, you can select 0 to 1 units of Grail Knights. However, there are only a few Grail Knights in Quinell, and this unit may be no bigger than 5 models. It can, however, have a magic banner worth up to 25 points. You can have 0 to 1 units of Questing Knights, and these also are restricted. They can be no bigger than 10 points, and may also have a magic banner worth up to 25 points. You can have 0 to 1 units of Knights of the Realm, Knights Errant, Mounted Squires, Squires and Bowmen, all 0 to 1. You can have any number of units of Men at Arms, and you can have the Reliquary Wagon if it survived the third battle, if the Bretonians won. Um, forgot to mention that your Knights Errant may carry the Errantry banner. The special rule, uh, Righteous Hatred, I already mentioned, and there are no further new characters for this um, scenario. So, the historical outcome of this was that the Bretonians managed to win. They drove the Wood Elves back and they were able to restore the Grail Chapel. Now, it does not mention what happens with Agravain, whether he found the, the lady there sleeping or whether the poison had killed her. It does not mention whether he found the grail or not. However, it is a very nice story. It leaves lots of room for interpretation. And I think it fits in very well with the whole Bretonian team, uh, the Warhammer version of the Arthurian legends of chivalrous knights and, and uh, pretty damsels that uh, do all kinds of heroic deeds. Um, 
I think they captured that spirit very well. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the Perilous Quest campaign pack. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Until next time, have a great week.